Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. On this episode of Pondering Scripture, we'll continue our discussion of pondering COVID-19, and we will conclude it, and then we will get back to James chapter 4 on our next week's episode. What we've been trying to do is just have a little discussion, if you will, on some of the matters pertaining to the virus, especially in a spiritual way. We're not worried or concerned in this uh, podcast with the scientific concepts of the virus, of what you should do and shouldn't do in regard to social distancing and whether it's safe to worship now or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get in a discussion of a bunch of opinion-based matters and, and such, and I'm certainly no authority on on scientific discussions or, or political discussions and anything like that, quite obviously. But what we've done is we've discussed some matters that were kind of general, uh, which this virus falls under, like suffering and why it exists with an all-powerful God in the universe. Why does he allow these things to happen? Couldn't he put it to an end? And and how those things work, and certainly we don't have all the answers for those questions, but we can think about some scriptural principles and understand that these things can be for our good. And last week, we really kind of looked at that, what things have come from this virus that have been very good, how it's cultivated our thirst for God and assembling with the saints, and and how much study has been given in God's Word and been available to the public, and and how much more we've been looking to God's Word as we've taken advantage of those studies and those opportunities available for us by, by so many different members of the church from all the states and all over the world, really. There's been availability of that. We've seen it on the social media sites and other places, and it's been a wonderful thing, and we've grown a lot from it, I think. I've certainly learned some things and and grown in some ways. So there's good that can come out of this bad, and thanks be to God for His power and His care for us and bringing those good things about. But we've also noticed and mentioned some points about suffering, about what Satan does in regard to these things. We've alluded to 2 Corinthians 12 several, several times where Paul's thorn in the flesh is described as a messenger of Satan to buffet him and how that was actually used by God for his good. When he is weak, then he is strong because of God's grace. But originally, it's a messenger of Satan. It's not, it's not coming from God. What is negative does not come from God. Only good comes from God, James chapter 1, 17 and 18. But these things, even if they're just by time and chance. We don't know exactly the specifics behind how Satan works, but we know that Satan will take anything if it means he could possibly cause us to fall, to fail in our faith. And while there's been a lot of good that's come out of COVID-19, I would assert to you that there has been an exposure of some bad some things maybe we need to wake up about, some things we need to realize. And I think that they were underlying matters that COVID-19 has just allowed them to bubble up to the surface. 
and been made more apparent, if you will. And we'll get to them. Obviously, everything that is a negative when it comes to spiritual matters has the underlying fundamental principle of authority. When we sin, we do something without authority. We, per, per, we, we perform and we become guilty of lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4 defines sin for us. Lawlessness. So everything that we do that is sinful is something done without authority. Everything we do that is right before God and pleases Him is something that we do with authority. He's given us authority to do that, and we've done it. And so it all goes back to authority. So what I want to talk about in this episode is some of the things that I've observed, and you've probably observed it as well, and maybe you have some different thoughts on these things and convictions on these things, and these are things that need to be studied out. There is the truth, and we can find it. But it comes from authority or lack thereof. In 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul told Timothy, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That is an understanding by Christians. There's a pattern, the authority of God's word, we've got to follow it. We've got to have a thus saith the Lord for what we do. Book, chapter, verse, if you will. There's a way of, of finding out what is pleasing to the Lord. He's given us that pattern, and just like Hebrews 8.5 says, there's a pattern that was given for the tabernacle to Moses, and he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mount. And it's the same way today. That was a shadow. We're in the figure. We've got to hold fast the pattern at all costs and at all times. But it seems that during this pandemic, a time of adversity again, that some have thought that maybe that these circumstances are mitigating toward our approach to God's Word. That somehow we can be a little more relaxed in our approach to God's Word and do some things a little differently than what we would normally do them. You know, and God would be okay with that. I want to tell you, though, that during times of suffering, our grasp and our hold on that pattern should not be loosened, but should be tightened even more so. Because, as I mentioned before, 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's walking about like that incredibly vicious beast, and he will take any opportunity to pounce. And this is one of those opportunities, brethren. Hold fast the pattern. It's interesting that that admonition in 2 Timothy 1.13, that exhortation to hold fast the pattern, is actually in a context of suffering. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 7, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. In other words, Paul was suffering. Timothy would likely suffer. And Paul did not want Timothy's faith to be shaken by the things he was going through and by the things Timothy would eventually have to go through, as he says in chapter 3 and verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But he doesn't say, Timothy, because you're going through this adversity or you will go through this adversity because I'm going through this adversity, 
God's a little more relaxed with us. He understands hard times and drastic times call for drastic and hard measures to be taken, which may be a little different than our normal things we would do according to the pattern. No, he says, Timothy, hold fast the pattern. Suffering doesn't permit a lax approach to Bible authority. In fact, Bible authority is that which is unchanging. It's eternal. It is consistent throughout any times so that we can be consistent throughout any times. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 says that these brethren were born of incorruptible seed through the word of God which lives and abides forever. And he quotes from Isaiah, All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We need to understand a concept of that. It enduring forever not only indicates time, that it's endless, that it'll never stop, but it's enduring forever also indicates invincibility, immortality. And so that means God's word stands even when we are near to the point of crumbling. God's word stands and persists and is powerful as ever even when We're in the middle of a pandemic, and we're struggling. We're just barely scraping by. And it's there, and it stays that way, that we can rely upon it and rest upon it. Which means, brethren, when we go through struggles like this, that doesn't mean we get to just throw everything we've learned and believed before away and set it aside because of a present distress. And you know, that's one of those problems. That's one of the the bad things I've seen come out of this is an abuse of a passage like 1 Corinthians 7 with the present distress. And someone will say, you see, see, Paul permitted men to change a little bit of what they're doing for a certain time because of a present distress. And you know, it's okay for us to do that here as well. Well, the passage speaks of this. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. What is he talking about? He's not talking about part of the pattern of worship or of the work of the church, of of how we're supposed to do things by book, chapter, and verse. He's speaking of a liberty God has given to us. You can get married and you can not get married, and it doesn't matter one way or another. And so the permissions and the exhortations, the advice Paul gives in the present distress of 1 Corinthians 7 has nothing to do with our pattern of worship. It has to do with the liberty But some have abandoned fundamental Bible principles of authority during COVID-19 crisis in regard to our pattern of worship primarily. And I think that you're well aware of the problem I'm talking about. It's been a great discussion that has really entered the minds of probably every Christian during this time as we're kept from assembling. And it's about the Lord's Supper. We're not able to assemble. Can we partake of the Lord's Supper? And there's been so many. I would, I would suggest the majority I've seen 
have reached the conclusion that God would understand, that certainly after all of this is done, that we need to assemble together as usual and partake of the Lord's Supper in the assembly. But until that time, God would understand. He wants you to partake of it in your own house with your family or a small group, not the assembly of the church. For a detailed study of this, we're not going to get into that and this. That would be impossible for this last episode. I preached a two-part sermon titled The Lord's Supper and Those Kept from Assembling, and it's on my website, seasonalpreaching.com. Just search Lord's Supper in the search bar on the right side, top right side in the, the menu, and you'll be able to find that. I would encourage you to look at the PowerPoint and the outline even. It's all there and listen to the sermons for a detailed study of that. I would assert to you that it is unscriptural to partake of the Lord's Supper outside of the assembly of the saints. But some have thrown away the principles which we use to find that authority for how to partake and how to worship just for this present distress, for this current time. That's a problem. We'll be judged for it. We need to be warned about that. Here's the pattern. Acts 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We see it was done on the first day of the week by example. We also see it was when the disciples came together to partake of the Lord's Supper. Certainly they came together to hear preaching, to worship God on the first day of the week, but one of those things was to partake of the Lord's Supper, to break bread. And we see when it was done, on the first day of the week, but also where it was done, in the assembly of the saints, when the disciples came together to break bread. We know that was a physical place. As verse 8 says, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. They were gathered in one place. We see the pattern with that as well in 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 17, he says, In giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions. There must also be factions. Therefore, when you come together, verse 20, in one place, it is not to take to eat the Lord's Supper. It should have been, but it wasn't. They were abusing it. He goes on and he continues to say in verse 22, Do you not have houses to eat in or drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. He says also in verse 33, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, what? The the Lord's Supper. Not a common meal. He talked about how that was not permitted before. When you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, you're eating the Lord's Supper when you come together. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. That's separate from that physical coming together as a church because you don't do at church, the assembly of the church, what you do at home, namely eating in this passage. You come together to worship one of those components of worship is to take the Lord's Supper. When do you do that? Or where do you do that? When you come together as a church. Now, coming together as a church may be done in someone's house, but that's also separate from the family just being in that house or a get-together being in that house. It's coming together as a church for the work of the church in worship, and that's the only place to partake of the Lord's Supper. Why do I say that? Because that's the only example we have. If you're going to assert that there's another place you can take the Lord's Supper, another setting, if you will, then you got to be able to prove that. You, the burden of proof is on you because here's my proof in the Scripture. The only examples we see is when the Lord's people came together as a church, as a local church. 
You know, and there's been a great contradiction I've observed in this. Someone will say, the only authority we have as to the when is the first day of the week. And I would heartily amen that. But how do you know that? The only place we have the win of the Lord's Supper is by example in Acts 27. On the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. If that's binding, then so is the example of the assembly. Someone will say, well, we're doing the assembly in the virtual way. And we've had to define this idea of virtual, and it's kind of silly we've had to do that. Virtual means not actual. It's not real. So you can't assemble virtually. You are not actually assembling. But what this really does is, to me at least, it's exposed an underlying and more fundamental problem. And that's how we understand God's relationship with man and even understanding the concept of grace in Scripture. How does God deal with man? And some would suggest that God will just understand in this, in this certain circumstance. We've got things bad right now. God's going to understand if we take His Word and we change some things for a moment. We, we don't adhere to the pattern as closely as we were before. God will understand we're just wanting to do good. First of all, that's prideful. That's acting as if our adversity is greater than the people of God in the past. We may not have been this way before. We may not have experienced these kinds of things before, but God certainly has seen them, and God's people through the ages have certainly experienced even greater things than we're experiencing now. And God has never looked the other way and allowed God's people to just alter his pattern and do things a little differently because of a present distress. Why do we think that he's going to deal with us in any way differing than he has with his people in the past? In Psalm 50 and verse 16, God says to the wicked, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing that you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? And he says in verse 21, These things you have done, and I have kept silent, and you thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. He's saying that you think you can speak my word and then do something the complete opposite, and I'll just not do anything about it. And since I haven't punished you up to this point, you think that I'm like you, that I'll say my words, and then I'll go back on them on another day and say, well, I'll let this slip, I'll let this pass. But I'm not like that. I'm not like you. You see, God doesn't work that way. If we're to hold fast his pattern no matter what before something bad happens, then when a pandemic hits, we've got to hold fast his word as well. You know, some have manifested their thinking that is erring about the grace of God. They'll act as if because we're under this period of grace, if you will, this dispensation of grace, that God is going to allow us to do some things differently. He'll understand it. We're not going to be punished eternally because we've decided to take the Lord's Supper outside of the assembly of the saints. I've even seen a Christian allude to the passage of Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have not been called, or you, brethren, have been called to liberty. And I'll say, well, I can understand that since we're under this dispensation of liberty that God is not going to make a big stink about this, if you will. But he also goes on to say, don't use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. This is a liberty from the old law, a liberty from sin. But it's not a liberty from law, period. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. That not but statement simply means you are not simply or merely under law, but especially under grace. You, you're still under law. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.21, he's not without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. And so 
we are freed from sin and we have some liberties God's afforded us with. But we have no right and no freedom to just do what we want to do. If the pattern is partaking the Lord's Supper in the assembly of the saints, then who are we to partake of the Lord's Supper outside of the assembly of the saints? And some will say, and this is something that's kind of come up too, and it's not a good thing. They'll say, well, God will understand we're just trying to honor and glorify Him. I want to honor God the way He tells us to honor Him, honor my Lord the way He tells us to honor Him by taking the Lord's Supper. Well, that's great sentiment. I think we all should have that. But we should do it as He wills, which is in the assembly of the saints. God's not going to just understand we're trying to glorify Him if we're not glorifying Him. And we can understand how to glorify God by understanding how we fail to glorify God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, they failed to glorify God. How? Because they've sinned. 1 John 3, verse 4, again, as we've alluded to in the previous episodes, shows that sin is lawlessness. If you fail to glorify God by sinning and sin is lawlessness, then you fail to glorify God by not adhering to His law. So the inverse has to be true. If you want to glorify God, you've got to adhere to His law, which means being without law, you don't have authority to partake outside the assembly of the saints, is not glorifying God. It's falling short of His glory. How would we glorify God during a pandemic that keeps us from assembling? Well, you wouldn't glorify God by partaking of the Lord's Supper away from His pattern. You'd glorify God by doing everything you can do within the sphere of God's authority. He doesn't call us to do something that we cannot possibly do. And so if we're kept from assembling, He's not going to call us to partake of the Lord's Supper if we cannot do it as His pattern tells us to do it. And you know, we've got to remember that Honoring and glorifying God is not just about our heart and our sincerity. But Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Brethren, those go hand in hand. Spiritual worship is worship that is according to the pattern. And worship that is according to the pattern is therefore spiritual worship. But you know, in all of this, as we're getting close to the end of the episode, some have built up straw men in regard to this. So they're trying to misdirect the conversation with those objecting to this unlawful practice. They have tried to bring up these thoughts that would suggest that there's, you know, they're they're kind of li- trying to limit God in some way or whatever. They're they're trying to act as if the church is the validating factor of the Lord's Supper. The church has to to somehow administer the emblems like the Catholic model, and that's what they're saying by saying we can't partake of it outside the assembly. That's not at all what we're saying. None of us would ever adhere to that. We're not trying to limit the spiritual to any physical location. We know that the Spirit is like the wind, like Jesus said in John chapter 3. You know, it's not contained. God is Spirit. He's not contained by four walls. But I'll tell you what, our worship is contained by His authority. we got to stay within it. And we can't allow something like COVID-19 to cause us to undermine these concepts. Or else everything's going to fall through, brethren. This sets a dangerous precedent. And we need to make sure that we are following God to the letter in His law. And we've got authority for everything that we do. And if we don't have authority to do something, then we ought not do it. I hope that this short conversation of these things was beneficial to you. 
and I invite you back to our study of James chapter 4 next week. I hope you do have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.